0: Hello and welcome to Dweller on the Threshold. I'm your host, Brian Gathy, and today we are going to be talking about the godlike jewel in the crown of Van Morrison's catalog, Astral Weeks. And I had the distinct honor and pleasure of doing so with the guy who wrote the book on it, literally. He wrote the book, Astro Weeks, The Secret History of 1968. That's Ryan Walsh, so uh, put your seatbelts on, folks. This one is a wild ride. And thank goodness Ryan did write that book because I could easily take one or multiple episodes just to get into all the uh, backstory of the making of Astral Weeks, the writing of where Van was at, where the country was at, etc., You know, we do get into quite a bit of it in the conversation, but up top, I think I'll drop a few things that we neglect to uh, mention in the interview. So, Martin Scorsese, who we mentioned on the last episode, said he thought of Astral Weeks during the whole filming of the first 15 minutes of Taxi Driver. Like, that was the soundtrack in his head, and that's pretty fascinating, I think, (laughs) You know, do with that what you will. Also to do with movies, Steve McQueen made a movie called Widows that featured Madame George in a crazy scene. So that's where some of this landed uh, filmically. And and it kind of goes to the cinematic nature of Van's lyrics and uh, this album as a whole. Even though it is so kaleidoscopic and uh, at times deeply impressionistic it's also cinematic at the same time and it it's so many things at the same time and that's what's part of the magic of this fractal uh, jewel here so what else uh so Louis mernstein who was the guy that signed van to warner's and who also uh oversaw the sessions and as you'll hear in the conversation had quite a bit to do with how Astro weeks turned out I always loved, uh, I've seen this quote a few places, but I want to repeat it just because it's so good. He was sent out to Boston from Warner Brothers to check out what Van Morrison was doing to see if uh, he would be a good fit, etc., and and if his songs were good. So uh, at that first sit down with Van, I guess Van took out an acoustic and played at that time a new song called Astro Weeks, and... Louis Mernstein's uh, quote about that was, My whole being was vibrating. I knew he was being reborn. It was just stunning. And I knew I wanted to work with him in that moment. Every quote I've seen from Louis is uh, very rhapsodic like that, about the whole sessions, about the final product, etc. So, yeah. Where did uh, the name come from for the album? Well the word on the street and the internet and all reliable sources is that there was a series of paintings having to do with astral travel done uh, by a Belfast painter who was friends with Van Morrison and he was really blown away by these uh, and came up with that phrase astral weeks when he was looking at them this was uh, right before he came back to America so yeah that's where that came from but Morrison has also stated in a 1972 Rolling Stone feature on him that as a kid he'd be lying in bed, eyes closed, and get the feeling that he was raised up out of his body and looking down at himself from the ceiling. And he was kind of saying, I don't know if that was astral travel, this or that, what. But, you know, it kind of ties things together, I think, for the themes of this record, which we'll get into to have to also throw in astral travel and uh, hints of reincarnation, etc. You know, he might have been tapping into all this stuff, even as a young, young lad. You know, it's it's also interesting that when I read that quote last, it hit me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how I got into this album myself. Not through astral travel, mind you. (laughs) I'm not going to claim that, but uh, I was a 15-year-old kid, and I would, uh, come home and take a nap in the afternoon sometimes, and I'd recently bought this record and had heard so much about it, but it, it just wasn't clicking with me. To slip past my 15-year-old punk, uh, music snob brain, I had to, uh, listen to it on the edge of sleep and wakefulness, and that's when it just really touched me, and, uh, you know, to this day, it's been imprinted inside me. It's, it's been imprinted in my DNA ever since. Most folks have, uh, you know, really personal stories to do with how this record touched them or got them through things. So that's mine, and uh, I'm sticking with it. Let's see. Uh, some context of the times. You know, you should read Ryan Walsh's book for the for the ultimate. Context because it's just an amazing, quick, fascinating read of a time period and that album, but of the time period as well. So, 1968, America. Yes, this is where you get the crazy psychedelic soundtrack going over the newsreels of people in Vietnam, of riots, assassinations, protests. There's a lot going on. And Somehow, like his uh, spiritual brother Dylan, Van Morrison made an LP that didn't reflect these times, but was out of time. It was uh, timeless, really. Here's a few quotes. I meant to grab more, and I apologize, but here's some that I found that were pretty fun. Elvis Costellos claims this is still the most adventurous record made in the rock medium and uh, Van would have something to say about him calling it rock, but then he goes on to say, and there hasn't been a record with that amount of daring since. And hey, who can argue with that? Steve Van Zant from the E Street Band said, Astro Weeks was like a religion to us. And Bruce Springsteen said, amongst other things, amongst a billion things really said Astro weeks the record that taught me to trust beauty and to believe in the divine courtesy of my local fm station and yes he would go on to use uh, richard davis on a couple of his early records and just f- for the fact that he worked on uh, Astro weeks not his other uh, impressive resume there's been a lot of covers you know glenn hansard has done many of these songs uh lots of people have covered a few of these songs but some of my favorite i'll say uh the water boys do a really good cover in the 80s of uh, sweet thing marianne faithful does a really uh, interesting moving cover of madam george jeff buckley covers pretty much half if not more of this album i keep finding more and more uh clips of him covering songs I didn't know he covered from this record so I wouldn't be surprised if he's not played every single one of these songs at one time or other his voice is is so soulful and angelic too so makes sense his dad uh, around the time that this record was being made Tim Buckley was was the only one really mining similar territory as far as I know with that kind of melding of spirituality jazz folk and uh, blues. so Sorry for all the kind of grab bag of random ephemera up front, but uh, I'll just leave you with one last thing. This album was so important to me, and is, continues to be, that uh, ever since I heard this album and it it got its hooks in me, this album has always been a litmus test for any potential partner. (laughs) They always had to uh, sit through a full sitting of astral weeks in the beginning and and I'm sure I'm not the only one anyhow. Let's move on to the uh matter at hand. Okay, here we go into the slipstream. So Ryan Walsh plays in a band, really good band. You can find most of his music on Bandcamp and you can look it up anywhere online, you know, the magic of the internet. They're called Hallelujah the Hills. Great writer not just of this book, but many thoughtful and intelligent and human, you name it, articles out there. So here's hoping we get another book out of him sometime soon. But let's jump right in. Here's Ryan H. Walsh and I doing our damn best to wrap our brains around and somehow, uh, make some kind of semblance of sense out of this visionary poetic masterpiece
1: I will drink the clear clean water for the quench my thirst And I shall watch the ferry boats and they'll get high On the blue ocean against tomorrow's sky And I will never grow
0: All right. Well, it's an incredible honor to have you on the show, Ryan H. Walsh. I mean, I couldn't think of a better guest besides one of the members of the band, Janet Planet, or Van himself, which would never happen for this. So thank you so much.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to meet you as well.
0: Yeah, you too. You too, absolutely. From Orion to O'Brien. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I
2: sometimes have your name at coffee shops a lot.
0: Oh yeah, right yeah. man uh I just finished your book, I'd say a couple weeks ago, loved it, was surprised when it first came out. I almost got it, and I honestly put off getting it because I realized it was much more comprehensive than about Van Morrison right that it right. it covered so much more, right, which was a a barrier to me at that point right but i I loved how ambitious and and the scope of it uh having gone through it now and i i ended up listening on audible so uh it was great to hear your band do the little interstitial music too that's
2: right yes we did that instrumental music yep and we made we released that as as its own instrumental album too called against electricity Uh, you can find you can find that anywhere nice but um I understand that barrier. Yeah, I knew people were going to be surprised. Everyone thought I was kind of working on a thirty-three and a third book about Astro Weeks, and you know what I say is, well, there's more about Astro Weeks in this book than any other book you'll find. Oh, so, that's for sure. So if you don't get sucked in by the other stuff, and I hope most people do, and I, I think they usually do, uh, you know, you can just you can skip to the the Astro Week chapter or the Van chapters.
0: Right, right. But I would highly recommend people not to because <laughs> Yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> I know you're the, you're the authors here. I'm I'm having to defend you. <laughs> no, it's 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 engrossing. I mean it I love things that take that kind of microscope to a place, a time, a uh, a scene, and just take all these disparate aspects, like some of my favorite movies, things that you would never put together mm-hmm. in the same thought, but show how they are all connected. And you do that uh, wonderfully with the politics, the spirituality slash occult aspects, the, uh, the the literal town, and so many bands, as well as the fascinating story of, of Mel Lyman, which I had no idea about, and which mm. threatens to take over the entire book at one point. But.
2: It really does, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. I always thought of it as Van and Lyman as our two kind of characters that guide us through the story. And um, there's a lot of both of them. But yeah, I thought it would be interesting to like really paint a a complete picture or you can never do a complete picture. But yeah, you know, while Vans while you're imagining Van writing, you know, one of these Astral Week songs to know what's going on down the street and Mm -hmm. the night before and, Mm -hmm. you know, right as he's doing it, that was I don't know. There's something interesting about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To I me, mean, at least. These things don't happen in a vacuum.
2: Right, exactly, yeah. Even though Van would like you to believe that it's <laughs> happened in a vacuum.
0: In the vacuum of his skull, yes. In I his know.
2: in his soul genius.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's, <laughs> that's something you got to love about the guy. Uh, or not, but funny <laughs> people well,
2: do You know, it's a funny thing you say that because... The book is is functioning like kind of a Rorschach test where people who hate Van love it
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and people who love Van love it. Yeah. You know, you kind of you find your own hero in it, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, he's perfectly fits the kind of 2000s anti-hero. Uh, anti-hero. Yeah. Right. I was trying yeah. to find a better word, but yeah, that works. The uh yeah, the 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 very uh flawed narrator.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. A Tony Sorry.
2: Soprano, if you will. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> so this might be the first time, uh, or not, that Van's been compared to Tony Soprano.
2: But... Weirdly enough, I have a story. one of the album cover designers of the Boston Sound? When I interviewed him, his brother-in-law or his cousin, I forget which, was David Chase, the guy who. Oh
3: that's no the, way!
2: That and um, yeah, the show and got... he, and I apparently Chase had read the original van astro weeks article and really enjoyed it mm. and because it gave him this context van was obsessed with mob stuff he like loved mm-hmm. that he was in the sopranos and he was like send me more merch from sopranos he like couldn't get enough wow. and wow. the and that article i guess gave chase some insight into oh he's had interactions with this kind right of
0: people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 from the other side <laughs> right know. yeah wow yeah so much here uh so much in the book and so many layers so how many years did you spend immersed in this world of 19th this very small period of time in 1968
2: well, uh, quite a while and um you know the article for boston magazine was the first thing mm-hmm. and that took a, a you know let's say 4 months sporadically working on it not every second but sure. pretty hard at work and then that people liked that and that led to the book deal and then once i had signed the book deal i think i had a year and a half to get it all done and that includes interviews research and the manuscript so a
0: lot in a year and a half actually it it
2: turned out to be (laughs) and uh yeah i was i was kind of like zonked when i came back i always say i came back to you know 2017 from another year and then just had to start doing some you know mending of relationships I was just I was uh, you know laser focused because I was like well I might never get a book deal again but I'll make sure this one's good right or at least I'm happy with it you know yeah sure so
0: well um, and I mean I can only imagine I've written for magazines just articles and I've done you know I do these podcasts and even just for the podcasts, like I can't listen to other I almost never depending on What's coming up? Listen to anything, but what I'm about to talk about are things in this the same orbit. So I can't even imagine for a whole year and a half like being just in this deep Boston '68 uh, time warp. So yeah, but it was awesome. also
2: it, but it was also really. I mean, it was the joy of a lifetime in an adventure. I mean, I don't mean to, there was there was negative consequences, but it was a thrill to do and an honor. Um, it was just kind of, it was just kind of nuts.
0: Yeah. And you had access to so many fascinating and, uh, insightful voices that you got to talk to all these characters is huge.
2: You know, if you did this book a year after I did, you know, some of the key players are dead by then. Yeah. So I felt I did it at the right, the last possible moment, I guess Mm -hmm. you could get this complete kind of picture.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and once you complete the manuscript, send it off. Did you need time off from Van Morrison and Astral Weeks in general? <laughs> like, were no, you like a... I cannot even go near that album for a while or what?
2: It, it's a funny, It that question has come up a lot. And I remember the Boston Globe, you know, kind of profile about the book and me. I remember he asked me that and I put it, we put it on again (laughs) and uh and i was like yeah it still floors me because it 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 transcends all of all of the crazy details that surround its making it transcends the process of me putting it together you know it's bigger than any um there's really no way to spoil it because it's so beautiful and pure so i really am transported i don't think i'm you know, I don't think of any negative bullshit I ran into while trying to put right. the book together. It's in that, and that really speaks to its power. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, and you you can trace where the sounds come from, but but for being such a out of time and wholly unique sound and structure of an album, it that certainly helps. It's not like okay, here comes the the guitar solo, and here comes a big break, of, you know.
2: There's not one giveaway that this is in the height of psychedelica. There's mm-hmm. no echo. There's no... um yeah. No far, pedal, no. <laughs> right, nothing. And part of the reason it was, you know, there's so much about the boss down sound in the book is because he was literally bathing in mm-hmm. a scene that immersed themselves in every, what would turn out to be cliche of that era. And so for him to completely resist it, that really shows a some kind of vision and willpower i think
0: oh yeah yeah well and and probably willfulness you know he's he's always got that that streak right self-possessing willful streak so i'm sure he's like you know oh they're going that way i'm gonna go hard the other you know even and and what impresses me
2: most about that stubbornness is that um he was up against the wall like he was broke and needed a hit like this is the the, right. mo, the, the situation he, he was in is where most people write their piece of shit single
3: mm-hmm.
2: and can try to get the cash grab. You know, Yeah, um, the fact that we he's in that situation, we get asked for weeks is just one of the it's one of life's small miracles. I, I'd say
0: it really is. And that's one of the hard things about talking about something you're so close to for me, anyhow, uh, is both one, just the music's like in like seeped into my uh my marrow my skin my blood so it's it's hard to step back and hear it anew although there are elements to it that always surprise me but besides that the story, the backstory having done so much research and reading about this time period and him myself i need to stop myself and remind myself that not everybody knows all these little stories and facts especially maybe perhaps people listening to this. So can you uh, throw a little thumbnail of what he was up against, what his situation was in the, uh, and why he was in Boston for that matter.
2: Right. Sure. I'd be glad to. So Van was working with American songwriter and music producer, Burt Burns, who owned bang records. And he he did the single for Brown Eyed Girl with Burt Burns in New York city. And it was a, um, you know, a sizable radio hit. It was got a lot of airplay, and Van was not seeing money roll in. And so he was calling Burt Burns all the time, and they were getting an argument, screaming matches on the phone. And they had one more on, I think, New Year's Eve of '67. And I think the next day, Burt Burns had heart and died. That
0: sounds right. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I mean, it's something cl- very close to that. If it's not that,
0: so his widow. No, Bert's I think wi- it is. I, ju- okay. I just saw the uh, the documentary about Burt Burns recently. Okay, yeah. yeah.
2: So Bert's widow was not shy about saying, "You know, it, Van, <laughs> this is part your fault. You were st- stressing him out." Mm-hmm. And uh, to make matters worse, Bert Burns was also very interested in mob life. He kind of was enamored by these charismatic mobsters. Had become friends with him and some of them had wormed their way a little bit into his business. Mm-hmm. And when in the absence of him, suddenly they're a lot in the business. A man named Carmine Wassel Dennoya is now in charge of Van. And he's, you know, he's a low-level mobster. And he's scaring the hell out of Van and Janet. He's banging on their door in the middle of the night saying, You're done in this town, Van. And he smashes
0: Van's guitar. Didn't he do it? Was it like over Van's head? Was that? I believe the that's story.
2: the that's what Wassel claims. Yeah, and uh-huh. by the way, Wassel Carmine, you know, he's passed away. But I did interview him. I I literally looked him up in the phone book, and he answered the phone. Hello, city morgue. So I knew I had the right guy. <laughs> oh, and even though you know he was a essentially a harmless old man, I got to say that was like one interview I brought a friend with. was <laughs> oh, <yes>. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he was completely harmless. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, but he was. Scary and was not harmless back then. And so Van and Janet, they say, What the hell are we going to do here? And someone says, Someone throws them a lifeline. You know, you can lay low in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Boston for a while. And we'll, you know, you can figure this out. And so off they go in the middle of the night and they land there in 1968. And that's kind of the entirety of Van and Janet's Boston residency is the crux of the book. And, yeah. and what happens is, all of the transformation, you know, if you listen to Brown Eye Girl and Astral Weeks,
0: what happened? The, the there's there's a missing piece. How does it go from there to there?
2: Yes, yeah, because sure. this is very different music. And so this is about that, like, transformative, strange period.
0: Mm, right. So do you think, because I don't recall in and, and yours or a couple of the other books I've read, was Boston chose perhaps because... uh you know, obviously, if if he went to somewhere like LA, which mm. he could be, he could probably do well at or better trade on his name a little more. He'd be right. more in the spotlight of, or more at the mercy of perhaps the mob and the right lawyers, and 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 apparently the uh as things progress, the INS and all that. <laughs>
2: right. Well, the answer is a tiny bit murky. I think they were looking for a temporary solution that turned out to be a little longer than mm-hmm. they planned. B, Boston was it that year. Like there was something, Boston was on everyone's lips. It was kind mm-hmm. of like, this is a cool town.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, something's happening here. There was certainly rock and folk clubs where van could work and you could get there uh, in a night. So I think all those things added up to why Boston did not maybe Get to LA, which okay, they
0: later do, but you know, I don't know
2: every nook and cranny of that. Why, sure, yeah,
0: yeah, well, and that makes sense. So, like, Boston was kind of like the late 60s version of the early 90s Seattle for a second or something, for a second, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a <split> second. <laughs> well, did you hear from Vans people? about this book or about this project or have people kind of like i know in, in clinton halen's book he talks about uh a lot of interviewer people that said they would do the interview mm-hmm. eventually being, you know what i can't do it i can't mm-hmm. you know kind of backing out last minute that kind of thing
2: okay well he, uh, not quite that but almost you know for instance peter wolf i left that night thinking well, this guy's my friend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was, we hit such a rapport, he's definitely gonna give me these tapes. And uh, but but after the article came out, he never spoke to me again. So mm. I always imagined maybe you got a phone call from Van. Why are you talking why are you giving quotes in this article where my ex-wife is also quoted? Some something along those lines, perhaps. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I literally talked to every person who's alive who worked on astro Weeks except man. Mm. Yeah. And we tried every which way, me and my editor. To we reached out managers, some of whom were like, "Oh, I don't manage that guy anymore." <laughs> you know, <laughs> we his lawyer. We tried everything. I even tried on Twitter. You know, I was like, "I have literally talked. I've talked to every living person who worked on After Weeks, man. Just give me, you know, fifteen minutes. It'll be worth it. Hundreds of retweets. You know, people rallying yeah, yeah. for it to happen." and you know nothing so i i have no idea if any of those requests got to him but i do know he didn't talk to me which <laughs> eventually became kind of an interesting facet of the book yeah where it worked to its advantage because it I starts to so. become it starts to become sort of a ghost story in that a i can't find him and b he's not the same guy who wrote that album anymore Oh, yeah. so it did something interesting so you know thanks Thanks for not talking to me. I'd say. <laughs> and um uh but um I you know I've heard secondhand things that he's read it. I've been um, to Belfast on a, on the book tour. You know, I've heard all kinds of things. I don't know what's true and what's not. Yeah, sure. Um, but he's but I do know he's certainly aware of the book because as you know, the book is like this. There's two holy grails of the book I'm searching for. Mm. What happened to Mel Lyman? Yeah. And where is this tape that Explains what happened between Brian and I, Girl last for weeks, mm-hmm. and so you know. I in the end of the book, spoiler alert, I do get to hear the tape, mm-hmm. and it's incredible, and it answers all these questions. But you know, I was passed. I can't say who passed along to me. I couldn't pass along to anyone else. I was just bound. And so now the book's out, and everyone's like, "Well, can I hear that tape?" And I was like, "No." And you know, people were really pressuring me. But what happened was Van Morrison or his people realized the importance of that recording. But six months after the book came out, and after 50 years of something first being uh, recorded or copyrighted, if you don't sell it ever, it loses its copyright.
0: Yeah.
2: So for one day, they officially released it on iTunes UK.
0: No way! Wow. Boston,
2: 1968, Van Morrison, but everyone caught it, and you know they took it down, but it was too late. People had it, and now they tra- they trade it. So it is out there, and Van himself leaked it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's hilarious i well i don't i almost wonder if i should say but uh because I, I don't want to lose it but you know it, it it's on youtube now you can find it goes up it.
2: it goes up and off of youtube okay. all the time right um the two guys tom kilbanya and john payne they signed something uh then got a couple hundred bucks um so it was official i i know it, i know it was van who put that out so that's pretty interesting to me that was kind of a reverberation of
3: the
0: right. Well, and I mean, that makes sense, uh, which kind of goes to you bring up uh, very briefly and comes up in other things uh, of, you know, the Astral Weeks uh, shows he did, you know, now a handful of years ago, but to, to kind of keep control of the uh right,
2: right. There's a reclaiming of the album's legacy effort on his part that you know still continues to this day, I think.
0: And so you you got to talk to Janet. Yeah. Janet Planet. Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. She was um she's pretty incredible. I mean she, I I really think she has the best quote in the book, which is um being a muse is terrible work and the pay is lousy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and that's really uh and you know, and how she has to leave a grocery store if Brown Eye Girl starts playing.
0: Oh and, yeah. Yeah um, that that was yeah. You know, hearing that, that's like, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And yeah, I know. Uh, I'm sure you've heard, I don't, I don't know if it came out either around the time of your book or before, I feel like before mm-hmm. maybe, because it seems like maybe you referenced that radio show where they reunite Tom. Oh, that was definitely yeah. after. Okay. Because I, I, okay. I
2: helped them, um, I helped them put that together or, oh, wow. or gave, led them to all the fellas. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. Really you nice. know, like the all of the all of the Boston teens who were essentially Van's band, yeah, you know, they weren't really found in doing interviews. There were two, but after the article came out, people who I was told were dead started to email me oh, and wow. they go, I thought that guy was dead. you know he yeah. was just like, so like the the original article kind of got people coming out of the woodwork, and uh yeah, that radio piece was excellent,
0: yeah, Never I thought so. That. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, there's something about hearing the guys just talk to each other and and hearing their excitement yes. of and and visiting the uh, the, the, house. the yeah, yeah, the actual house, yeah. But yeah, sorry, I, I could spend a while just talking about all these things, and and I do want to get to uh, going song track by track in a sec. Sure, but uh, yeah, you know, anyone that's the least bit a fan of Van Morrison's career knows his kind of uh restless questing spiritual spirit his and his interest in it you know he's not shy about at least in his music and maybe record covers uh dropping references to what he's interested in on oh, that sure. path right what i didn't know and i consider myself a very you know sizable lou reed fan i had no idea lou reed was interested in the occult Right at that, at least at that point. Right. I mean, I guess white light, white heat title does kind of you know give you a hint, but I just always assumed it was just a speed reference that it wasn't the. uh, Me
2: too. I mean, totally. Yeah. I mean, on its surface, that's what it sounds like. That's what it (laughs) reads like. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, But to find out they were both in Boston a lot that year, kind Mm -hmm. of chit chatting Mm -hmm. about. All of those same occult names and practices that really blew my mind, yeah. And how, according to Van, Lou would later give him advice for like quieting voices in his head, right? I thought that I mean, that was such a revelation to me.
0: And and Um, talk about two cantankerous characters,
2: right? Yes, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I know they were probably so sweet to each other because when two Negative polls. <laughs> get yeah, together. Sure, they to sure. go, you know, they get right together.
0: All right, and then you've got uh, one of the other big players, at least in my uh, someone who's my ears and eyes perk up when I see mention of that comes up in the book. And you, you almost can't talk about Boston music scene without bringing up Jonathan Richmond. In my yeah. opinion. So it was awesome to see him. But he is, talk about the opposite of those kind of characters. He's like, I mean, he's got his difficulty of of personality from what I hear, but his Mm -hmm. expression and his intention is so, he's like the light of the velvet's dark, you know? Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. I love him so much. You know, he he did interviews with me for the book via snail mail, letters. Didn't have email, didn't want to do a
0: phone call. Well he doesn't have computer apparently right. or cell phone, right?
2: That's my understanding. Yeah. I actually um met him past spring.
0: Oh
2: um for the first time and he said some really nice things about the book and he oh. wanted to hear that catacombs tape, so I sent him oh, a recording. That's awesome. Yeah. Um but he's uh there he's one of truly one of a kind. I love him.
0: Yeah, definitely. If I'm not mistaken, he still lives out my way in Chico, California. Chico, okay, right. I knew it was uh, northern, or at least Cal that's where here.
2: his um, he's got a stonemasonry business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which and is at least that isn't so cool.
0: Yeah, that's so great. The
2: players, I mean, I was, I was definitely producer Lewis Marenstein's final interview. Were that you? took a long mm-hmm. time to get him to even consider talking to me.
0: Really, I'm but surprised. then he
2: couldn't stop calling, <laughs> and I mean that fondly. I really love yeah. talking to Lewis. But you know, he just he like the first i the first time he reached back out to me. I was sending him letters and stuff. And he was like, uh, you know, he read he read the article. I think is the order of things. Yes, he read the article. He he basically thought I was a good person who could do the story, and he and he said I didn't throw it in the trash. So let's start uh-huh. talking. <laughs> like and uh, and slowly, slowly we start talking. We did some phone interviews, and then I finally met him. In person mm. for an interview and uh you know all these years later even at the end of his life he was still sad and hurt about you know he thought he had helped make this beautiful thing and yeah. then mostly
0: and very important you know, part of of the creation of i mean a huge i mean it wouldn't
2: undeniably be if... a a big collaborator if not equal mm-hmm. collaborator yeah i i really believe that you know and and then vans on like the don ima show saying the producer on that album was just getting us sandwiches, you know, <laughs> just like completely oh, belittling gosh. any contribution he made, which Lou was sad about, you know,
0: mm-hmm. he said, yeah, he, yeah,
2: yeah, I put it all in the book, what he said, you know.
0: But. Yeah, I, I loved all his quotes and I've seen quotes and heard him on a couple other interviews and there's something touching about anytime I see see or hear something of him speaking about Astro weeks despite van's you know later comments mm. it just sounds like he's still in awe of of what happened and he was so aware of how special that was that those right. three well two of the three sessions for that at least for that
2: right yes he really was yeah again not just not a commercial bone in the in the project's body you right. know? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird how um, you know, there's a professional record label, there's a professional producer, there's a professional recording artist, and no one's coming close to figuring out how to make a pop radio hit. Yeah.
0: Or trying.
2: Or trying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. And you know, the and I love the mystery about the poem on the back of the record. Yes.
0: I you're that part of your book really uh filled in a lot for me in that respect too, because I have been to Boston just once or twice briefly. So I had no, yeah, I have no concept to the, the places. And you mentioning that that poem has to do all with these Boston, yeah, locations is like, wow, okay. Yes.
2: Yeah. And the song, you know, the one thing that I reference in the book that has not come out in any way is, is the one outtake for Master Weeks, which is called Train. Yeah. Or that's the working title. And mm-hmm. Warner Brothers was nice enough to let me hear it.
0: Oh, really? Wow. Yeah,
2: and he's but he's singing some of these lines, you know. It's so crazy. He's singing about Cambridge and Cape Cod.
0: Oh wow. In train. That's great.
2: Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. There there's like it's pretty is it pretty much the the version that is on the uh catacombs uh
2: yeah, it's pretty simple, but that that live set gets cut off before he starts these local references. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um and also it's with all of the musicians you know he's a trio in that live recording right but in new york he's with the jazz musicians it's uh it's a whole nother thing interesting it's, it's really interesting
0: wow well i guess without getting too into the songs yet still uh one thing that i don't think you do bring up unless i'm misremembering and please correct me if i am but somewhere else i read uh tom kilbaño uh spoke of all the takes all the takes not just slim slow slider being so long that they would take up a whole album side if if they were unedited
2: yeah now i'm trying to remember maybe tom said that but john payne is really the one who talks about in particular slim slow slider being severely edited and even in that reissue that came out in 2016 or something Mm -hmm. there is an extended version
0: yeah but it's he, still, he you contend, can tell it's That's quite, not even it.
2: Right. He was like, it went on and on and on. So <laughs> I don't think, I do not think those exist anymore. Like, mm. I I don't think anyone has those. Yeah, know. yeah. I think everything was put on that reissue, plus Train, which has not come out. And yeah. I think that is it in the vaults for this record.
0: Oh, okay. And Train probably won't see the light of day because Van has has the final say of that but he doesn't have the final say of the release of any of the songs that have already been put out right
2: exactly that's what it was explained to me that the reissues could put all those alternate versions out because they're already published songs of man's and they own the recordings Mm -hmm. and so yes they can but the train has never been published although technically in a way it did when he released that live oh you're right (laughs) <laughs> interesting i just found a That's loophole for funny. warner brothers record um <laughs> but uh i don't know we'll leave that to them
0: um sure but yeah. yeah yeah well and so i'm sure we'll cover a, a lot more basis uh, about the book throughout the rest of the conversation through talking about the songs as well last two things i want to ask you though before we dive into that is i know it's almost Probably impossible, but if there's a way to get, because the more the book goes on, the more just fascinating, disturbing, etc. Mel Lyman's story is. But one, can you give a, a, a quick little uh, character synopsis of him, just so people kind of have a sense of who he is? And also, since doing the book, or even while you did it, is there any sort of... Uh, even kind of idea that tangentially maybe even uh van either had contact or right. at least was aware of Mel Lyman during this time.
2: You know, that's a great question. And I don't know that one. Mm. The closest I get and it's in the book is when John Payne gets back from recording Astro Weeks in New York yeah. and him and his brother immediately go up to Fort Hill. That's and they're so kind of crazy. <laughs> I know when that went because I already had kind of the thesis of my book and when he told me that the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Cause I was like, Oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> the Venn diagram is going. Vam. Yeah. I bet you, if you put an issue of avatar in front of van, mm. if he was being generous and he still had right. the memory, he would remember that. There's no question with him spending time in Harvard square and how much it was hawked. Mm-hmm. Other, other than that, I don't know, but let me tell your listeners about Mel Lyman was a folky in the folk scene who played banjo and harmonica and um, was pretty successful at it. Was in the Jim Queskin Jug Band. Did a lot of touring. Was respected in the music community. Uh, also knew, you know, R- Richard Alpert, who became Ramdas, mm-hmm. Had a lot of access to LSD in Boston. And um, started to take quite a bit himself. Started to believe he was God. Started to say he was God. Built a commune up in Roxbury. And had a, kind of this musical cult. That got stranger and stranger, and into movies and other pursuits, and did a lot of damage to individual people and families and connections, and and then completely vanished. No yeah. birth, don't no death certificate, no nothing, just vanishes by the end of the seventies.
0: And, and this is you're you're sitting here giving a someone who hasn't read the book a idea of who he was, and you're doing a great job. And and I'm sorry because I'm interrupting you in the middle of oh, it. Oh no but, no go but, ahead. Uh, one thing that I was curious about, and maybe since I—that's the problem with Audible. Maybe if I, since I was listening, I missed this section while I was listening. But around the time that he did disappear, or so called uh, quote unquote, that yeah. when they say he died or or whatnot, right? Was there any kind of circumstance? Not as far as uh, his health or whatever, which you kind of hinted some some yeah. some things with that, but was there any kind of controversy? Or, or thing that might have initiated perhaps him dropping out of sight of uh, the public. Mm,
2: well, sure. I mean, he'd already kind of excuse the term, blown his load, his wad. <laughs> he had told them they were all getting picked up by spaceships and going to Pluto. Oh, wow. and that, when that didn't happen, I think you know it's like it's like being a dictator, and you blink, you you know, then oh, he's got a weakness. So there's that um you know it's hard to sustain that kind of control over people um he was and you know i think he was sick and tired Mm -hmm. and um but by the end of the book it's the it's the first thing in print about a plausible thing of how what what happened to him is where i'll leave which
0: you don't have to give away because i want i do want people to read this as well (laughs)
2: right but what appealed to me about making him and van the kind of main characters of this book was at their positions flip at the start of the book, mm. Mel Lyman is super famous in Boston. He's notorious. He's in every article in the Globe. And Van is on the outs, on the run from the mob. Unknown people don't know who he is. Yeah, he can't. He can't. You know, he. He's no playing. a don't...
0: handful of people. Yes, with, you know. Yeah.
2: And by the end of the book, Mel Lyman is literally missing, and Van's one of the most famous musicians of all time. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was, if I could do that,
0: the symmetry of that, that.
2: crisscross story. Yeah it's inherently beautiful right something something about it yeah
0: yeah definitely well and one thing that i think is interesting uh especially i haven't just done the episode previous to this about uh the about the bang sessions previous to that i wasn't aware of every one of the session players on there or at least the ones listed and it which is fascinating in itself so many people that i wouldn't have guessed and that three of the people that played uh, some of the earliest uh, Bob Dylan electric music are on the bang sessions. And and famously, uh, as illustrated in your book, uh, Mel Lyman is introduced as uh, being the guy that kind of calms the crowd at, at the Dylan going electric. After Dylan goes electric, yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, Lyman did a, um, a, a harmonica dirge for the death of folk music. <laughs> on right. on a dark stage as people left the uh the, the grounds um yeah. who were those who were those names in uh, on the Bang sessions that stuck out for you
0: much less that uh Whitney Houston's mom was one of the backup singers and
2: yeah. really on Brown, Brown Eyed Girl
0: yeah yeah for Brown Eyed Girl for the whole that's album. But a, that's amazing isn't that one uh okay so yeah Al Al Gorgoni uh-huh one of the guitarists was on uh some dylan early dylan sessions yep russ savakis on bass mm-hmm. and i could be wrong but i think the other is gary sherman or organ player mm. so cool. yeah yeah the, the, i think they were all on highway 61 or bringing it all back home one of those amazing mm. yeah not wild <laughs> huh. but uh just because I love being able to talk about all this stuff with, with anybody, much less you, who obviously has pre- you know a, a similar obsession and fascination with this stuff. You know, I was amazed watching the Burt Burns documentary that Van has a number of interviews in it and is nothing but respectful and kind throughout the whole thing. I'm like, right, right. Is this the same? Who is this right. guy? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I can't explain those moments when he's
2: really mag- 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 magnanimous, magnanimous. Sure, is that the word? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, that was peculiar to me, too. <laughs> yeah. I was like, and, Oh, you know, this will be interesting, but as, you know. <laughs> I've, as I've written online, I don't think it was in the book. Uh-huh. You know, the revenge recordings, yeah, so called that he turned into Burns's widow mm-hmm. are pretty cruel. Oh like yeah. like they're super funny everyone tosses it around as the funniest thing he's ever done and that's true and they are funny but also like they're making fun of a recently deceased man in some songs right that's you know a and point and, and handing them directly to his widow
3: mm-hmm. like
2: that's fucked up so I could imagine a grown adult being like yeah let me do some damage control on the horrific thing I did to this person's family yeah that's uh, true 50 years ago you know
0: Ho- hopefully that is the Impetus. thinking or the the yeah. maturation of of right. but I mean right. you know it's a, this is the guy that that that's one thing like in the eighties nineties all in early two thousand or all his uh, anti record business and and equating oh, him with yeah. with the mob it, record business with the mob it all makes sense now you know right yeah I mean he's uh, ostensibly as you say in the book has has had bullet holes in his hotel room guitars right. smashed. had people grab his shirt collar and pull you know pull him into their face and yell at him and you know th- this was what hit him as a very young impressionable Right. Although, like you know, we know he he was never easy to get along with, guy. But uh, as a very young man, this is his exposure to how your art gets managed. I mean, right? I guess, yes, yeah.
2: Know. It is a shaky foundation. Oh, and thrown <laughs>
0: thrown down the steps by one of his managers in in uh-huh. uh, England, I believe. It's uh-huh. like, yeah, he's he's something. Yeah. So, yeah, but 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 to get back to Astral Weeks
2: the or the origin story
0: what give us uh uh your connection to this record and not necessarily what made you want to write the article then then do the book but what drew you to this how did what was your initiation into Astro weeks because this is a record that everyone has that that does appreciate it there's no just like casual like "Eh, it's a pretty good record everyone gets a deep it gets uh under under people's skin yeah
2: yes and it got under mine um i would say it was the yeah i was i just graduated from bu college undergrad and uh i just had like my first big big heartbreak with Mm. a woman who had met at college and she was moving to san francisco and uh, i was just really banged up and and it was before like anyone tells you you get over that stuff yeah (laughs) Well, right. and before
0: you believe it, even if they do, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Yes. And so, like, you know, um, some people drink that pain away or do drugs, and at the time, what I did was just like fill it with music. Mm-hmm. I was just like buying records and finding music and li- trying to make it and listen to as much as I could. And you know, my I had these I had these two older brothers who had great music tastes, and up until like you know the end of high school, they were informing a lot of those decisions here, listen to this, this is cool. right? Um, but then, you know, there's this moment, I'm heartbroken, I'm on my own, I'm in a record store, and I just saw the cover of Weeks, and I certainly had heard his greatest hits, and, you know, he's on the radio all the time.
0: Sure.
2: But I was like, I don't, I've never heard of this record, what a strange title, what a strange cover, and there was something that just really told me to buy it. <laughs> and so I did, and uh, I put it on, it was a CD version, I put it on in the car, and it just made me feel better. And every time I listened to it, it made me feel better. And so I just kept listening to it until it was like, this is my album. You know, it was like, uh, I just, you know, couldn't stop talking about it to people. Yeah. You know, and so, so then separately, years later, to find out that its creation. Has something to do with Boston? I was like, wait a second. <laughs> this is this is a, another hair on the back of my neck moment because uh-huh. I've always lived in Boston and I love the city. And I was like, why isn't this story fleshed out anywhere? And mm. you know, because even the most even the Halen biography, yeah, you know, he's in Boston for like a page, maybe right. two. Yeah, well, and, he
0: doesn't he doesn't put much focus on the place itself. Yeah,
2: right. Or what he does there. Mm-hmm. Um, or that transformation, or explaining that transformation from Brown Eyed Girl to Astro Week, so that what I I felt like I'd found a mission. To, yeah, um, that's
0: great. I mean, what better way to spread that enthusiasm or could, could, to uh, pass that along, the uh, excitement that that record gave you, the solace, et cetera. Uh, but through you know, here's why, and here's this bigger part of the story. And yeah, and it does, it has that effect. It did for me too. I heard it as a teenager and, you know, at that time as, as we met, talked about before recording, I was deep in the throes of, and, and, and pretty involved in the DC hardcore uh, punk yeah. rock scene. Yeah, And there was, a, although it's not so crazy as it sounds because there was within that scene, a very uh, all of a sudden an interest in uh, 60s culture and incorporating 60s culture within the punk rock scene in DC, Mm -hmm. especially because being the center of politics, etc., the protest element, but also some of the more musical experimentation and things of the 60s. Uh, But besides that, I was listening to stuff like Velvets, which is a big part of your book, and discovering them really deeply in discovering uh, you know, other people from that time, proto-punk like the Stooges, et cetera. And here I've I read a couple uh magazine, maybe Rolling Stone, I can't remember, uh, reviews about some current Van Morrison record at the time. And it wasn't the record at the time that interested me, but a description about Listen to the Lion mm. from St. Dalmick's preview and a couple mm-hmm. other songs. So I'm like, wow, that sounds that sounds right. intense. That sounds great. And so then I see Astro Weeks in the store and I've heard about that record, Yeah, uh, picked it up. And I mean, I'm literally maybe 15 and I didn't get it the first handful of listens. I mean, I got it, but I was like, oh, where's the backbeat? Where's the, right? where's the, the groove in this thing? But, you know, that was the magic of buying albums back then, especially as a young person, if you bought something, you weren't just going to, th- you know, it wasn't now where you can download and just forget about it. You spent some money on it and it's music. So you're going to give it as many chances as you can. That's exactly really...
2: right. Yes. Yes. Cause you, I can't afford another one of these for another week or two. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So I'm
2: really going to listen to the hell out of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would do. You know, I have vivid memories of, you know, after school or something, taking a nap a number of times for some reason, but taking naps after school, but putting this record on as I'm falling asleep. Yeah. And somehow that was the entryway for me. That liminal state of in yeah. between sleep and awake was what made it click. What made it be like, okay, it doesn't have to have a solid rock drum beat underneath it. That's part of its magic. And yeah. Yeah. Once I got it, it, it you know, as you know obviously i'm doing this podcast etc it's right, been yeah. a lifelong passion his music and that record you know is this record is probably if not my it's hard to just name one all-time favorite record but Scott, it's, it's it's in my top three of all-time records period gotta be but having said all that sorry i didn't mean to take over the uh conversation here i just kind of giving context for myself as far as my entryway into it. But one thing that struck me from this record and then onward diving into this catalog was that what I didn't realize for a while was just how difficult he was as a person because his music and his expression (laughs) is so confident, so yeah, so vulnerable, so poetic, so just seeming at ease in his skin, which is the absolute opposite of what he's like in any conversation that you see so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it it was so strange for me to eventually uh come to terms with uh with with his off mic offstage uh incarnation
2: i think sometimes you um project who you'd like to be in Mm -hmm. your art or you Mm -hmm. or or your opposite uh i don't know that doesn't explain it all but there's something to that Mm -hmm. Um, where you're you know artist art can be the pursuit of your higher self
0: yeah oh absolutely and
2: and so you know i think a lot of times you do hear man's higher self in in his songs sure sure when you know when he um if you asked him a question about that same belief in an interview he might yell at you
0: (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) or call you call you something or whatever but exactly yeah well and so okay one last thing before we dive in. Uh, do you have an expiration date for Van, like a cutoff point of where you'll stop oh. with his music?
2: When's the last thing that moved me?
0: Do you check in when he put something sure. new out? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I.
2: Well, I mean, I kind of stopped now. I couldn't take the the pandemic. <laughs> <thoughts>. <laughs> that, that, I the just could not. Conspiracy. And I. Re- <laughs> and in fact, I I reviewed that album for the L.A. Times.
0: Uh
3: huh.
2: And um. You know, was appropriately harsh. I felt, yeah. but the wrath from, you know, some of your listeners actually might already hate me. <laughs>
0: uh, um, I don't know. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be. I'm not shy about. I, I don't know if it. I don't think it's come up actually on the yeah. podcast yet. But you know, yeah, it, he, he's a complete lunatic about the pandemic stuff. It's there's nothing redeeming about. There's no higher. Yeah. calling to that that aspect of his material yeah luckily I'm, it seems like he's getting beyond that but we'll I think see. so
2: I think so I mean I think um he might have seen some results manifest from that behavior in those comments but mm-hmm. I um I'm looking here at his discography yeah mm-hmm. really nothing th- th- there I I find things to love on every album throughout the late nineties and then it
0: kind of drops mm-hmm. off that was my trajectory too yeah. And I I would still see them live a a number of times afterwards, but actual albums that I would actively listen to into the early 2000s. I believe Magic Time was probably the last one that I was like, wow, this is actually a really good van record again. And in the country, I can't remember what years those were, but the like Pay the Devil, etc. record. Uh Uh-huh. Pay the uh, Devil's
2: 2006.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Magic Time's 05. Yeah, so so that that was kind of the last hurrah where I was like actively, right, checking in a lot. And since starting this podcast, I have dived into some of the later stuff. And kind of like Dylan, even at his nadir, uh, yeah. besides maybe the pandemic ones, even on his what what could be considered for me some of his worst albums there's always at least one song that's like wow this actually is a really good song despite Mm. the light jazz of the whole rest of the you know
2: the one thing i'll say about dylan versus late van morrison is that even if i don't like it even if i really don't like it bob dylan sounds like he's completely in the moment captured by his own creative process he's there he's present yeah well especially
0: he's not phoning it in Well, especially since the late '90s, I mean, right? Yes, was, the, I, the, I was the, thinking more of the '80s. That that's the Dylan that's more scattershot. That, but even
2: there, know. I hear him desperately trying to find a way back. And there, mm-hmm. uh, this is all to say: sometimes Van sounds completely bored by himself True. and <laughs> his song, and <laughs> uh-huh. and I have no time for for things that sound like that yeah. to my ears. You know, no, I get but, that. But 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 even still, and I said it in the LA Times review, it's unbelievable how good his voice still is oh my god all of his peers have lost it yeah it's still there he can still do all of these uh magic tricks with it basically and um so even just if you're listening for that that is a quality that's pretty fun to check in on
0: yeah it's super impressive and kind of like dylan after dylan did his now that we're talking about the two after dylan did his uh troji of uh standards records dylan's voice yes. all of a sudden got mad got like a quite a bit better than it had been in years right um but in a slightly different way uh van's voice seems stronger now than it was about 15 20, maybe having to do with when he really packs on the weight he kind of loses some of his register and then once he loses uh, uh right actually does sound better
2: right and people say that bob's quality of voice on record sometimes has to do how much he's touring right before oh, he does it sure yeah anyways but let's go in there. anyway yeah let's, let's get into the
0: record in. sorry that's okay <laughs> um p- part one in the beginning in the beginning which okay do you do you do you buy that this is a well one as van has claimed either a an opera or even right. a song cycle or even a concept record
2: well it the the fact is it kind of works as one
0: it does but work. i as, really
2: yeah. don't think it was intentional or at least not his intent it might have been lewis's a little bit that's he what, did yeah. he did the song selection track order and exactly. also there's there's two songs on here that are here because of the,
0: the contractual uh, obligation. The contractual
2: obligation to bang records. So that is not how operas are written. You know, <laughs> I just have to tell listeners <laughs> that, right. that um that's not how it's done. So I think it doesn't matter what his intent was or what he says. It mm-hmm. does work. It works like a song cycle. I wouldn't say it works like an opera, but it is right. it is um immaculately sequenced.
0: I believe so thematically you know lyrically much less musically it it really worked on both those levels which is huge that's super hard to do and to think that the producer is the one that actually did this and actually did a great job is pretty Mm -hmm. is is another feather in the cap of of Mm -hmm. Marenstein which deservedly so and most people don't know you know I didn't know he sequenced it till very recently I would have Mm -hmm. assumed that van did but no yeah
2: and the engineer's name is finally back on the record. Right. It's not, oh, it's, it's, it's a, in the, it's on um, the. It's on see. the reissues. Yeah. Oh, that's um, great. Um, Brooks Arthur. What a great, he's a, such a great guy. Yeah. But he's the engineer. He's not listed. And um, yes, it starts with Aster Weeks. And from what I've told, this is take one.
0: take one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing.
2: Yes. You know, the song starts. And it sounds like it's been going on for four minutes when uh-huh. you start. You play. You're like, wait, where have I been dropped into? Yeah, and that's and that's brilliant because you know you're kind of getting dropped into the slipstream that he's mm-hmm. about to sing about. It feels this the music feels like the words he's singing.
0: Oh God, yeah, that that's a perfect way to say it because you know on on ask I mean on all the honestly, but especially the first couple tracks, it you instantly are inside this world your visual the music is helping evoke the visuals of what he's singing etc yeah 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 um,
2: and then uh I, I have you ever heard john payne the flute player on this is the boston kid okay
3: mm-hmm.
2: um who argued his way into the room to be on this take yeah that's great That's great. but after the book came out he and i did some radio appearances together and there's a there's a, a show called radio open source and they have John talk on top of basically the whole song. Oh, really? Now, if, if you've never heard this, I, I, I'm i going to send it to you. Yeah. You could drop a segment or all of it into this episode or or just a link in the notes because right. people yeah. have to hear it. It's so beautiful. Him, because oh. he kind of gets swept up by the song again. Uh-huh. He, he's like, in awe. he's like, what kind of music is this? What is this? <laughs> and it's like, dude, you're on it. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's it's so weird. great.
2: I love it, that. It makes me so happy and um you know i i collect i tried to find all the versions of him doing this live you know in the 70s uh-huh. and the 80s it's so rare that he does it it live. Is. Mm-hmm. but some of them are really different and cool mm-hmm. it is just uh it's a per i think this is a perfect song
0: i do too and none of the other songs as great as they are could open this album it, it has to be this song it has And to not be. because it not because the title of the album is that but because this song has to be yeah. the one. <laughs> and yeah it's and talk about, as so many writers have. But I mean, you know, there's the talk of being born again. There's the talk of the child, and it and it's setting up, even just on a subliminal level, these themes and this, right? Both spiritual, but also right. you know metaphysical as well as uh, literal, mm-hmm. childhood and being born kind of uh, imagery. You know, one of the things that first got to me as a young guy listening to this was. When it gets to the section about being born again, it feels like this. Any any other artist, the song would kind of fade out right there, but no. Time just gets distended for another right. another handful of minutes, and it just keeps going. You think, right. oh wow, no, it, it's okay. Now we. No, it's still going, and the strings are just holding out that mm. very minimal. Like I said, kind of feels like time gets stretched out type of feel at the end. It's so. Oh, it's beautiful. Right.
2: And it is like the, I always think of the, the narrator of the song as being someone who's so in, so newly, I, yeah, newly in love, where he's already worrying about if they get separated by death or, or whatever. Where he, here's how we'll do it in the next life. Uh-huh. Like, you'll find me, yeah. you, you've got to find me, you've got to kiss my eyelids. Right. right. I mean, it just, it really,
0: yeah, yeah, great. like almost a, uh, secret sign. And exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And just the idea of being, a, like I said, stranger in this, in this world. And one being this world period and and for, for Van himself. But I just, you know, after reading your book, I'm like, Oh, I wonder if, you know, he's talking about on one level, Boston too, you know, in America versus, versus Ireland.
2: And then there's, there's this other thing I figured out after the book came out, which I wish was in there, but there's a John Lee hooker song, where he starts talking about being born again, and he's a stranger in this world. Oh, really? Yes. Mm. And Van had just seen him that summer. They played together, mm. or I definitely confirmed that they were together, and Van saw his show. Wow. So, like, I, I don't know, you know, that doesn't prove anything, but it's like, right. did he hear that hooker song that summer and then write it?
0: Mm. Whether well, it was even half conscious, if not fully conscious. Right, of yes, that. yeah, yeah. That's um, fascinating.
2: Do you want to hear it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. yeah i'm glad you didn't tell me he says the got a home on high part too it's like
2: shocking the first time you hear it yeah
0: holy shit yeah yeah that is wild i mean i'm fairly familiar i I don't know own tons of uh john lee hooker i have a handful but but he has a song called real real Gone," and so does van too that's that's funny
2: oh i wonder if it's a cover or a standard i don't
0: think so i think he just uses the title because I can't see it being the same because I I had I was pretty familiar with the Van album that it was on. I think it's Mm -hmm. late 80s, early 90s. It's 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 well, maybe it's a cover, but it's unmistakably Van style, um, at least at that point. But uh, yeah, that's that's wild. it's
2: why. Yeah. And it doesn't take away from Astroids for me, but it's, it's incredible to hear what's likely a source for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a part in the book where the club owner of um, the club manager of Boston Tea Party recalled to me driving John Lee Hooker, Van Morrison, and Peter Wolf home mm-hmm. at the end of the concert. Mm-hmm. Wow! And uh, couldn't make out a word any of them were saying because they all have such distinct like, <laughs> <laughs> ways of yeah, speaking. Yeah, yeah. You know. Anyways, um, but, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, and, that's the title track.
0: Well, yeah. and it, okay, that totally makes sense. And. I'm sure. Have you heard the uh, John Lee Hooker's cover of TB Sheets? Yes, that's so good. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's perfect. But yeah, yeah, title. So it trial. seems like
2: there was mutual respect.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. Them. Like you said, it perfect song, perfect first song, and full of mystery, longing, and uh, wonder in his voice. You know, mm. and who is that? Jay Berliner doing the guitar runs because it's very much. i used to think it was van because van's little guitar trill style is actually kind of like the little runs on there Mm. but i mean i know van just pretty much strummed all the songs on this right
2: pretty much i i if we if we come across it i'll mention it but i i don't think he's doing anything but chords and strumming yeah and sing right right um why would you when jay berliner's there oh i know (laughs) i
0: know and the and what's his name uh the the one guy whose name I don't have. Richard on Davis? My... The no, player. no, which I mean, yeah, Richard Davis is a god on this and is a bass pl- lifelong bass player as well as guitarist, but it mo- started on bass, like his bass lines on here are just godlike, of course. But no, um one thing that jumped out at me upon recent bunch of listens is the percussionist, uh
2: oh uh Warren Smith Jr.
0: Warren Smith War- Jr. His choices of percussion is just so tasteful and so perfect like it's an underrated uh thing to do i mean as far and then as percussion. Con- and then
2: Co- connie Kay was on drums right yeah now Kay was already deceased but i talked to warren smith jr oh, okay yeah but one of the things that really blew me away was you know these guys were all professional musicians mm-hmm. and most of them before at least the first session for astro weeks they were cutting uh commercial jingles
0: I know. For, I like you know. To I think heard of that. them.
2: Think, think of them like putting J. together for
0: Leonard doing the the Pringles ad or whatever. Yes, yes, <laughs> and, yeah. you
2: know.
0: and then to just jump into this—that's
2: that's another thing. Like that's like this should not work.
0: It yeah, exactly. It's not, and the playing on this whole album, this song starting it, just feels so lived in. It feels like they've right. just been playing this for and it's the know, first forever take. together. You know, but no. ever they've never played it together (laughs) uh um but i i thought i found it fascinating that seeing that's the problem with reading so many things at once uh about the same time period i i'm sure you had to have at least mentioned that tom Cabania, his boston bass player who by all rights uh according to van at the time or, or the band like should have been on it but thank god he wasn't in a way because richard davis is so amazing but it's true
2: exactly i mean tom tom saw his hero literally walk in the room yeah, yeah. you know to replace him um yeah
0: you know another thing that was a, a piece that found a place for me was hearing that tom actually kind of gave some guidance to to richard as far as like here's what i here's what we've here's... been playing yeah
2: yeah yeah richard davis rejected that idea and i get why you know Mm -hmm. maybe memory or just pride or whatever right but that but when i heard finally heard the catacombs tapes they're playing cypress avenue among others on here and it's the bass line you'll hear richard davis play on the studio recording in a few weeks so uh tom definitely showed him what he was doing in my estimation
0: yeah yeah you would think so uh then we get to beside you and this this song sounds like it's just yeah again the music as well as the vocals just feel you just it's hard to not go into a trance yourself as you're listening to it
2: right yeah this is like it's not my favorite but it is essential to the album mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you it is it's very uh, dreamy you just kind of get lost in it there's jay berlin are almost overplays i would never you know there is there is there's a sense almost that it's a medieval song like a yeah like a you know, like a, that, sure. uh, you know mm-hmm. something while you courted the queen or something um, <laughs> but it's beautiful nonetheless and um you know that's a crazy song to put in the song two spot of it, an it album really is. as well <laughs> it's because you could you know the smart the, the thing that you or I, or almost anyone else would do, would put Sweet Thing in the second spot. Right. that's something
0: that's... that brings you back down to, the, that kind of grounds you after Astro Weeks.
2: Yes. And Sweet Thing's the closest thing on here to a single. I think uh, so. Well, the way young lovers do, in a different way. But
0: yeah. 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 We'll get to that. Uh, for me, I just love Vance Delivery on Beside You. Because it's yeah. so... This is one that, like, really is kind of almost. Uh, I, I feel like it's unwittingly psychedelic in the just in the in the disorienting nature of it, and the visualness of it, and the, mm-hmm. you know, you turn around, you turn around, you turn around, and uh, you know, and right? You breathe in, you breathe out, you breathe in, you you know, right? So, yeah. Uh,
2: Philip Seymour Hoffman quoted that in his uh, Oscar acceptance speech.
0: Oh, really? That wow.
2: part, that part of this song, yeah,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. It's not my favorite on the album, but it it's like it it's essential. I would know? never
2: skip. I would never skip it.
0: No, 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 absolutely. And I mean, I could listen to Richard Davis play any song and be happy.
2: Yeah, I wonder what the experience would be without that Berliner guitar. I'd be curious mm. to know how much work it's doing in yeah. either direction, but. Uh-huh. i
0: know that that was something i thought about asking me this would be amazing to hear the way they would do those uh oh yeah the multi- those the, the pull down exactly, the fader the yes faders, isolate exactly. things yes. yes that would be yeah fascinating but that brings up the point of uh you know van is his often it seems like complained about the string section mm-hmm. the string uh arrangements on the album I think they're amazing. I think, yeah, they're they're so everything on here is very tasteful. It's very
2: tasteful. It's not cheesy. No, he in one you know in one mood he was in, he said they ruined it. (laughs) Yeah, Um, the string players. Interestingly, we don't know any names of these people. That's
0: right. The string players, or you know, I guess we need to say the uh, flute player that plays on some of the songs.
2: Exactly. There's a mystery flute player. String section which includes no the viola player on Madame george was brought in separate from the orchestra we don't know who that is either so there's (laughs) like there's still (laughs) mysteries about who's playing on this which is something else um but sweet sweet thing is up there sweet thing just that feels really great to listen to it does that
0: that was the first song i could be wrong but i feel like that's the first song that that I connected to right away because it's just it's got such a a flow and a momentum to it that you can't help but feel in a romantic mood and feel lifted in in some way by that song it's it's, and it's somehow crazy craziest... you know no. it, could, it should be cheesy but it's not at all
2: this, this and it has the craziest line on the record uh and I shall drive my chariot down your yes. streets, streets <laughs> yeah. and cry. And here's in quotes, hey, it's me. I'm dynamite. And I don't know why.
0: <laughs> right, right. Like the the, the uh, ancient times, James Brown or something. Yes. <laughs> yes <yeah.
2: laughs> and such a weird line. And um, but the way he can this man at this point can sell anything. You know, it doesn't matter what the lyric is. He can sell it with the intonation and the voice and the delivery.
0: Oh, God. Yeah absolutely that's true i'm so glad you brought that line up because it hey is, it's, it's me
2: i'm dynamite i don't know why <laughs> i gotta start saying that more often
0: that we need to have a uh oh god uh what's his name captain kirk uh
2: oh yeah hey it's me I'm dynamite. <laughs> yes i don't know why uh that is um
0: and i mean Shatner. Shatner, exactly uh but yeah i mean the the i'll never grow so old again is mm. such a classic classic turn yeah. of phrase to use there
2: and it reinforces the idea that this is like a reincarnation record or a cycle right because because we were born again in the first song you're never going to grow so old again is a thing that someone who's done this before can only say yeah true and, you know we'll get to the rest
0: yeah well and the uh the recurrence of water to water is like the mm-hmm. born again you know in the Yep. whatever sense of uh, the christian sense of born again they use water now that you mentioned the medieval thing from the previous song i as i look at the lyrics i'm like oh yeah it's a he uses such different turns of phrases like just the first uh line and i will stroll the merry way and jump right. the hedges first it's like right. anyone else that would be like what <laughs> yeah right but somehow it makes perfect sense when when van sings it
2: and i feel like yeah, there's very, like I said, there's very few clues that this is recorded in '68. But yeah. saying I'm dynamite is one of them.
0: You, true, <laughs> true. And
2: it's, I, But again, it works. So
0: right. Yeah. Well, and this is and this is the first song that first of at least three or four Van Morrison songs that uses his uh, phrase of walking in a garden and misty loves wet to with walk rain. Walking in a garden. Yeah, yeah. He he loves his garden. Can't get <laughs> was- enough. <laughs> yeah it's part of his you know his uh constellation of imagery that he uses mm-hmm. all the time his psychic uh, map you know there's the gardens there's the right the back streets there's the the jelly right. roll of course and yeah
2: uh, yeah it's interesting you can almost map out a songwriter's memory palace yeah by their by their repeated imagery and metaphors
0: yeah definitely
2: That's interesting
0: yeah for sure and and yeah great song uh that, that that's a song that definitely richard davis just oh just owns the, the song the king, the yeah. king yeah yes yeah. <laughs> man that's another thing it's it's not just what he plays but the feel the mm-hmm. uh the, and yeah. the, the you can feel him really string.
2: stretching those strings it's almost like yeah. they're gonna snap under the know. Uh, under the pressure he's but he's he's snapping down on the string and then pulling hard where it almost sounds like mm-hmm. a rubber band at points right it's it's really it's earthy unique.
0: it's it's fluid though and and if anyone that's ever touched a classical stand-up bass it they are not easy, not easy to maneuver to, no. <laughs>
2: yeah no
0: so yeah but then yeah. uh we uh, move on up to cypress avenue which you know he's used to close his shows for many years i mean my god the the version on uh too late to stop now is, yes jesus yes. christ but uh yeah this is our
2: furrows this is our first concrete location on the album mm. so this puts mm-hmm. us back in Belfast,
0: right yeah um
2: and, and, and the,
0: the return of the little girl or the 14 year old girl which both phrases right. come up again and again in songs up to now and continue. Um, well, at least through not too much further past this album, but it's, yeah. so, there's, that was one thing with the them episodes. I was, it was illuminating yeah. to see that the imagery of, and even some of the similar phrases of this literal 14 year old girl, right. And being a schoolgirl, and him helping with these things, but also him having this distance from her. And then right. later, uh, ostensibly the same person, maybe uh, the same character, move into Cypress Avenue, move into the the Avenue of Trees, being on this place that he that's right. unattainable to someone like him.
2: Right, and you know I think it's unfair when you know there's like a criticism of this, um, you know, like uh, this is creepy,
0: the pedophilic aspect. Yeah, and, but I mean he's but he's a very he's, young man. He's twenty
2: one. And I really yeah. feel like he's still processing some shit yes. from when he was a
0: teenager. Exactly. exactly. You know, whether
2: he's 16 or whatever. right? Um, so uh, look, I'm the first person I will criticize this man to the end of the earth, but I, <laughs> yes. I really don't think it, I don't think the, the gross, icky thing that people mm-hmm. might it, at first instinctually think he's invoking here is what he's invoking that's my sense oh for sure i mean he's processing some some young love
0: definitely definitely i agree i mean
2: that's why he put it back in belfast because it's a memory you know what i mean perfect
0: perfect point for sure and yeah Yeah. 16 is probably right because he's conquered in a car seat he's immobilized but but he's old enough to drive which i don't know what the age for belfast and the all right fifties sixties was for driving but still you know he's obvious if he's 20 early 20s when he's singing this he's obviously written it prior to recording the album he's obvious like you said it takes place in belfast so yeah Yeah. yeah, i I did the
2: when i was there i did the walk from his childhood home to cypress avenue
0: oh wow how Um, was that
2: it was amazing you know it was really gives you a lot of context for you know it's a it's not a long walk I actually wrote an essay about that trip to Belfast and a little bit of Cypress Avenue, but mostly trying to make a geography of what's happening in Madam George. Mm. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. Which uh, we'll get to in a little bit, but, but Mm. Cypress Avenue, it's a great set closer. Yeah. And an inside one.
0: Inside one. I know. I mean, it's almost, it's almost so powerful that it's hard. Uh, we'll we'll get there but i I just want to talk a, a tiny bit more of it because yeah, yeah it, with being such a rich evocative and I don't know that's one of van's I think van's best when he uses simple phrases versus trying to be extraordinarily poetic like on beside you or something which which is still mm-hmm. great but mm-hmm. it, it's obviously him and his self-conscious poet mode versus this where just saying i may go crazy before the mansion on the hill like is a perfect line you know
2: that's me you're making me think brian let me just mm. look yeah. I, i'm not sure there's a metaphor in this song mm. like it's all what i'm saying what i mean oh no just like a leaf on a tree there's some oh, of sure. it but um but it's oh, well, all yeah it's mostly very literal tangible yeah
0: things. and with specific both images and place like you said uh in the song which really anchors it emotionally which brings up like in that catacombs uh version it was awesome to hear uh that he doesn't say like a leaf on a tree he says like jelly on a plate right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah, he
2: he did a good edit
0: (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah this this line which always made sense in context when i'm listening reading on the page like and the leaves fall one by one and call the autumn time a fool
2: huh it's like i've never noticed that actually yeah
0: yeah i mean you get because it, it's got such a momentum the leaves fall one by one is like just going with the music and so mm. you know you you picture the time but then and call the autumn time a fool it's not like call me a fool or call something a fool it's call the actual
2: it's almost like it's like calling what created you it's almost blasphemous Mm. you know because the only reason Mm -hmm. the leaves are falling one by one is because of autumn Mm -hmm. and so to call it a fool is in a way to reject where you came from or something maybe that's that's, there's a lot to parse there
0: there is and i mean well uh because that would at least uh thematically emotionally make sense with the song because he's his tongue tied he's conquered he can't act he wants to but he he doesn't have the confidence, doesn't have the ability. He feels like struck and tongue tied by his feelings. And he's, he's just sitting there like stuck and cursing both his own inability, but also maybe, yeah, the uh, creator of his, (laughs) of him, his, uh, being, and then, Oh, well, yeah. And I mean, then it gets very, uh, you said not, uh, uh, metaphors, but then at the end, there's that very, uh, both maybe either blues but also uh, biblical kind of imagery of yonder comes my lady rainbow ribbons oh, yeah. in her hair six white horses on in a carriage oh, she's yeah. returning from the fair
2: right yeah it's almost like a young person's like dream or imagining of what mm. adult love might be like right interesting i don't, yeah. I don't know yeah
0: yeah yeah good song good song there you go uh uh yeah like i said it's with the with the albums that you've lived with so deeply sometimes it's hard to be like to say more than just like yeah it this is a a fucking good song what else
2: is there to say it's dynamite and i don't know why
0: yeah there you go yeah well and so what i was going to say a minute ago it's like yeah this song's powerful it's, it in you're deep in the in childhood now you've you've gone from this this uh kind of more eternal place of astral weeks in this romantic longing that gets even more earthy and well poetically or uh romantic by beside you then it gets very specific and sweet thing and you kind of descend in age as the uh, as the record goes on Right. And and yeah, how can you uh, follow Cypress Avenue? And I think you can't because you turn it over. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I don't want to interrupt your thought though.
2: No, you're just getting me thinking like, oh, yeah, I'll never grow so old again. And then we drop down to when he was a teenager Mm -hmm. and then Way Young Lovers. It almost is like a regression album, it's like a Benjamin Button deal (laughs) (laughs)
0: or (laughs) something. And maybe that's part of its power in his process he's tracing back to the root like these feelings and, and talk about being uh under the skin like these whether they're wounds or longings or origins of uh whatever it is you know he's tracing them all the way back and you know did you hear did any of the musicians tell you because I feel like it was in another book I read where and maybe it was it was yours I apologize if it was that in the studio, in the recording booth which you know famously he didn't interact with the other musicians during this he just sequestered himself in there yeah one quote i saw said something about that he like was heard kind of mumbling to himself and, and talking to his guitar and to kind of get having a conversation with himself about how to play into like come on play play, play, play. really
2: yeah. i've never heard that and that's pretty mm-hmm. interesting yeah no i don't know i'd love if you have that to quote, it. Love, i will yeah. i will
0: and i'll send it to you yeah
2: i wonder who said that interesting it's interesting to me that you know that's it, side one part one is just called in the beginning okay mm-hmm. and then part two is afterwards so it's almost like it's almost like the middle like like action is missing you know right. what i mean it's like yeah it's like there's like a prologue and an epilogue, almost, mm-hmm. and without the and, body of the the piece. And and in a way, that's even brilliant because all it does is reference this thing that you don't get to hear or see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a brilliant narrative
0: Right. Trick. which he didn't do all, again. Which that he was... did, right? <laughs> and and how
2: conscious how conscious Lewis was of that. That oh, there's no middle. There's no. I don't know, but it worked. Again, it works. It does. A, you know. I
0: agree. Well and and one thing I I was just saying is like where do you go after something is large and powerful and uh great a song as Cypress Avenue you turn the record over and to my mind unfortunately you go to the, uh, <laughs> the way young lovers do the one song that I don't think it's a terrible song but it it, it just feels like why is this song amongst right. all these others
2: right yeah, did someone need a James Bond theme or something? Like, <laughs> <James> a, <laughs> I know. you know, with different lyrics, it c- truly could have been an opening to one. That's of those true.
0: Things. With the it, yeah, the way the strings are in this song, yeah,
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. you know, it's kind of action like do 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 Um I Yeah, I I feel like I used to love it when I first heard this record. Really? Okay. I think I did. I think I did. I, I and and over time, I've been like it worn out its welcome, <laughs> it's and. Funny. And, but, but I'll tell you what it does is Mm -hmm. it, I mean, you can't, I'll tell you this, you can't go from Cypress Avenue into Madame George. That's true. So it is like a little mint that you eat Mm -hmm. between courses. It really does change. It gives you a slight rest from the epics.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You need some space to take a breath before you dive into Madame George. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I don't know. i yeah, I don't hate it, but it's it's surprising cuz it just really the the feel of it isn't this was the only song they used from the second session, is that correct? I d- I don't
2: remember, I don't have all that memorized still in my head, mm-hmm. but that's that could be. And the, the second one's the one that goes poorly?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Could be.
0: But yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting that lyrically already he's repeated uh wet with rain i know it's almost
2: like you retell the story again
0: Mm -hmm. which i mean he he does i mean he uses that phrase over and over as the years go on too which is (laughs) wild. but uh yeah i mean lyrically it's okay musically it's okay Mm -hmm. uh which on any other album it would be like yeah it's a good song but like on this mind-blowingly classic album it's like Okay, you're kind of the redheaded stepchild here. Like imagine this though, Brian. Imagine
2: the way you hear Brown Eye Girl on the Catacomb tapes.
0: Uh-huh. Oh yeah. It, yeah.
2: Imagine if that was in that spot or another mm. shorter song of his that is a little more accessible and catchy, that isn't kind of cheesy. Well,
0: that, even that, that song that uh is on there, the way it's listed that I've I see the the song I, that might be first in the catacombs that virgo clown song uh-huh. even yeah. that would would have kind of worked
2: but um you know we get past it and yeah, yeah. We, we move into what i think is one of the best songs of all time
0: i i agree but real quick sorry oh sorry. sure sorry just uh last thoughts on it since you know it's obvious i don't hate it i just no. it's just in the company of giants so yes yeah um but I will say the uh Jeff Buckley cover of it oh, is yeah. amazing that it actually really redeems like everything about the song and and it's just performed amazingly and a kind of illuminating thing for me was hearing on one of the very recent five ten years ago albums by Van Morrison, one of the ones he did with that uh guy Joey de Francesco, oh yeah, very b three uh organ-y, like every right. song unfortunate right. but they do do a cover of this song and it That's actually right. sounds really good like yeah. surprisingly it works
2: yeah it's interesting when artists cover themselves
0: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly especially
2: <laughs> decades later
0: right right yeah true just like I, I don't know about you but i feel like music i made when i was a teenager that was a lifetime ago it's not the same person you know?
2: right right, right. You know, so I don't even want to call it the weak link of the album. It's mm-hmm. just the one that you don't go nuts over, I guess. Right,
0: yeah, yeah, true.
2: But again, I enjoy it as mm-hmm. part of the whole Astral Week experience. Mm-hmm.
0: As know? part of the tapestry, sure. But yeah, as you said, then we get into just, yeah, the song that's...
2: An all-time great.
0: Phew, yeah, yeah. I mean...
2: The longest song... W-
0: Oh, record. is it? Yeah.
2: Nine minutes, 20 seconds.
0: That's why, because you don't get the, You never get the sense that like, okay, this is going on. <laughs> no, yeah, It's riveting. Yeah.
2: It's one of the few songs I've ever heard in my life where the way it builds and sounds to me. It all, it sounds like a living organism. The song mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's breathing in and out. Right. There was just something about it that's, yeah, like I said, it seems alive in a way that a lot of songs couldn't even dream of implicating
0: Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. um what do you think of it i mean what do you think it's about i mean
0: yeah it's it's this is another place where i lose uh words fail me because like you said it it's masterful i mean the lyrics are amazing the sound of it's you couldn't think of a better setting for these lyrics they're super respectful of what the vocals are and Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of song that will bring tears to your eye. It's so so rich. And I mean, the only other band that has anything similar to my mind, and I I can't think of a specific song off the top of my head. Oh, maybe I can. But it is Velvet Underground, because talking about these, uh, again, uh, maybe not just because it's talking about transsexuals or whatever, but having this compassionate and humanizing but also tragic take on these character studies
2: you know but the problem is van claims it's madam
0: joy j-o-y
2: he claims he's singing that every time he claims it's a misprint i mean it's it takes a lot of gall to lie like this about this song because it's playing dominoes and drag there's so many clues that it's Madam George or that his name is Ivan George Morris. Like I there's know so, that there's so I didn't much see to until
0: recently. Yeah,
2: there's so much to unpack here. And so him lying only makes me think more like, oh, he revealed too much. Like he right. feels weird sure. about something in this song that he didn't want to kind of tip his hand. And he did. It's But it's the Streisand effect for me. I mean, you tell, <laughs> you know, you, right. you say, you say, Thigh ignore d- this. D- and...
0: th- thy death protest, much.
2: Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, like I said, I have this unpublished essay about trying to figure this song out geographically and otherwise in Belfast. that I, I, I'd love to put out someday. But, you oh, know, yeah. the, like the geography is all fucked up. Like, like um, you take the train down. What does he say? Let me pull this up.
0: Uh, yeah. The train you, you, from Dublin up to Sandy Row,
2: right, right. But you, that would be the down to,
0: mm. mm-hmm. or
2: I, I I forget exactly. I'll probably sound stupid but if I try to pull this from my mind. But um, but yeah, Sandy Row. I went to Sandy Row. Mm-hmm. I went to as many of these locations as I could. It's super interesting. Um, let me pull it up here. Ford and Fitzroy, yeah,
0: yeah. What is well? Is there's that one a place.
2: Did, It's not an intersection in Belfast. No, it's Mm. confusing. There's like one of the streets is in Belfast and one is somewhere else in Ireland. So it's not Mm. an actual intersection. But my, I do have some good friends who started a band called Ford and Fitzroy. Pulled it from this song. I love that, you know, he starts saying, Mm. say goodbye. Right. Like in minute two, two and a half. Mm -hmm. And it takes like seven and a half minutes to finish (laughs) saying goodbye. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's something that's always struck me too. Like, it's like, it's about this song about when you have to say goodbye, but you really can't bear to. Mm -hmm. And so you drag it out as long as possible. And that's what, to me, that's what this song means to me.
0: Yeah. Well, and the, the, the very, very, very complicated emotions that, conflicted and complicated emotions of, uh, the narrator of, right. ostensibly obstens- right. uh, young Van,
2: and, and I love, um, yeah, Lord have mercy. I think it is the cops. Yeah. And it, it immediately drops everything she gots, <laughs> everything she got gots. Is I mean, so good. G O T S. Oh, for
0: sure. And that's, that's another thing that, that reminds me of, cause like, originally speaking of velvet underground, thing of something like candy says and then also something like uh uh white light um, White, white he the uh the sister the ray? sister ray god yeah yeah that whole scene right
2: <laughs> right yeah it's interesting that they both were singing about this kind of uh topic this early mm-hmm and then we both kind of share some mental health tips with each other. It's pretty, I don't know. Oh, I yeah, just, true. I just find it very, very, and, and Lou certainly disowned, you know, he was all in on like this, um, you know, he was bragging about turning kids gay with his music. And at one point yeah, yeah. he truly yeah. was. And then, you know, to, to then use a slur to describe it, that F shit, mm. you know, that was so disappointing. And, and yeah, it is.
0: And I mean, he, and that, well, and then in the seventies, he was, uh, his partner you know right
2: uh, yeah. yes um but, trying to think of her name
0: i know i was about to say it and i'm like wait <laughs> um, oh
2: um it's at the tip of my tongue anyways um, yeah yeah she's super super interesting and had mm. a tragic ending and mm. uh yeah it's 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 both of them on a very odd trajectory uh um, so in regards to this stuff yeah
0: yeah yeah for sure and there's a song uh on one of the last couple of episodes, um, I'm, I don't think it's on. Uh, maybe it is on Blowing Your Mind, where, yeah, I think it's who drove the red sports car. Where at the end, yeah, I I thought he was just saying uh, something about it's a drag, like oh it's uh, you know it's too bad it's a drag, but you know uh, he talks about being in the back street and. And now's the time to to make things happen with this person. And uh-huh. you know what I'm talking about. It's drag. Like maybe uh-huh. there's no A there. Like maybe he's talking about the person in drag or right. Whatever. Yep. There's that. And I guess there's another uh not Friday's Child. There's another song by them that that makes it kind of clear that there's a a man, a woman's clothing in a in a garden as well.
2: And there's, you know, I forget the name of his. Oh, who was his wife who hacked his website oh, uh, there, was, there was he, he was it's like one or two wives ago but when he met her at a dinner party the first thing he asked her was are you a transvestite?
0: oh really she was, oh, she was she was
2: not um, not happy <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: uh Lou's lover was named Rachel I remember Rachel that.
0: that's right yes.
2: yeah um but anyways Madam George yeah all time I can listen to it on repeat couldn't be long enough
0: and it's yeah it's so painterly i mean i he do? does he
2: do this live in the 70s
0: that's a good question i feel like there's probably once or twice one or two things that i've seen where he's done it hmm. but i don't think it was a regular part of his set by any means
2: i think it's hard to sustain with uh with a straight rock group yeah, yeah, you know, but but uh, John Payne and Tom Cabana r- recall the viola player being specifically called in, like, Oh, we need something else here, and they remember cheering him on, like, Go, oh, go, yeah. go, like as he went wilder <laughs> and wilder in the oh, uh great. culmination of that song. Yeah, oh, um, that's
0: cool, that's great,
2: but we and don't it, know who that person was.
0: I know that's so wild, but yeah, I mean, Jesus, uh, you, you can't write a song like this or I mean from all evidence so far that we know a van as a writer and as a performer, it doesn't matter. It's not ultimately important because the song itself is so powerful. So it honestly, it in the end, it doesn't matter, but the evidence doesn't suggest that he just made up this whole scenario and thinks it's so, there's so many, like you said, kind of conflicting uh, details on some of the location, but there's so many specific uh elements i mean just that whole you know thing of having the boys come over to to party with with this transvestite and then dropping the whatever it is drugs or whatever out the window and and you know saying goodbye and the saying you you forgot your glove i mean it's so specific there's oh and
2: the tradition of like of dropping your glove and your true love finding it for you is such hmm. a um old old tradition for ballads Mm -hmm. that goes back to you know that hundreds of years ago in scottish scottish ballads is that's tradition
0: that's yeah why did i didn't put that together either that's yeah for sure and saying goodbye who knows if it was like for me i i picture it as being a young guy in this scene going to, to see matt and george and finally getting to the point where like Hey, I can't square this with the rest of my life. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to say goodbye because mm-hmm. I can't commit to going it, fully in this fear. direction. Yeah, the fear, yeah, yeah, the guilt, the fear, all that. And yeah, especially in Belfast, I can't imagine what I can't imagine the culture being very. Permissive oh no, and open. I I looked and,
2: into that. It was it was not great. Right. Yeah.
0: But yeah, Madam George, it's. What probably one of the greatest, I mean, one of the greatest songs, period, like you said, and one of the greatest songs in his whole entire catalog. Absolutely, you know,
2: Lewis could have, you know, faded this out after five minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah, what a to to, to keep all nine, yeah,
2: to keep to know to know to keep all nine minutes 25 seconds is, yeah, something else. Uh, thank god, yeah, yeah, and then we go to. Ballerina,
0: which I'm sure you know, and anyone who does any kind of research will will find that he this was just the first song he wrote for Janet, right? When he was on tour with them, even you know
2: this seems to this seems to be like the most clear ode to Janet. There's references to Janet and Astro Weeks, and and even her son, right? Right. But this seems to be like the the one the the first one you can pin. Like this is this is for Janet, right? Um, and I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah,
0: it is. It's, it's so nice. And it's so, so s- sensitive is not the right word. It's so just open hearted. He's not trying to seem like a cool young guy in love. He's not trying to like be impressive. He's just like laying it out there for, and, and even musically, it's like wide open. It's not.
2: Yeah. Like Warren Smith, hit, or hit, he's hitting these bells at these perfect yeah. moments and mm-hmm. also the lyric, this is so great. And if somebody, not just anybody, yes, yeah. wanted to get close to you, for instance, me, baby, for instance, like, me, the, the, <laughs> that capturing that awkward thing you do where you dance around something with mm-hmm. someone you like is, yeah. um, and to get that right in a song is pretty great.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that that's exactly the lyric I wanted to point out too. That's so great. It's so well, <laughs> so well sung and played, yeah. and delivered. And then all you got to do is ring a bell. And then it, it could be cheesy, but it works having the having uh Warren Smith do the little bit, right? No,
2: it's 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 brilliant moment.
0: Yeah. Then he gets just stalled like into that uh, uh, you know, that kind of soulful part of his voice where he's like, Well, I may be wrong, but and then into the next line, there's something deep in my heart tells me I'm right. I don't think so. Yeah, oh, it's so good.
2: And there's this, um, if we're trying to kind of force. The song cycle or opera kind of thing. Oh, uh huh. Yeah. Um, there's the line in this song, uh, and this time I forgot, I, in this time I forget yes. to slip into your slumber. The light is on the left side of your head. I'm standing in the doorway. It's almost like he falls out of the dream yeah. accidentally and he's called on stage. Here comes a man, says the show mm. must go on. So, like, I feel like ballerina. Wow. Yeah. Kind of continues that narrative where you're stepping in and out of time or slipstream or mm-hmm. someone else's dream yeah it there that verse is so unusual and i think consciousness
0: it's is dilating and, and uh constricting back and forth yeah 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 that's that's great great point uh like you said this time i forget to slip into you. forgot yeah the light is on the left side of your head and it, it seems uh it seems literal but i always saw it as kind of metaphysical too like you know the the this kind of like you know, like chakra, like light.
2: It, t- it sounds like total occult talk of like yeah. how to, how to astral project or mm-hmm. how to, um you know, enter someone's
0: dream. Then he's back right after that, that little scene, like within the same part, but with it, after saying those great lines, he's, he's back like on Cypress Avenue stuck in this kind of childlike uh, right. state of mind of like, Oh, I'm mumbling and I can't remember the last thing that ran through my head
2: yeah it's almost an album about like someone who's like trying to snap out of the wrong dreams to get into the right one
0: mm, yeah yeah i like that that's true so and it's hard and it's hard because yeah. you keep
2: it's so hard to control a dream you're something so often at the mercy of it
0: well and, and uh as well within that same kind of thought stream if you will is uh The difference between the internal and the external experience, right? Yeah, snapping in and out of like dreaming of this person as this idealized, you know, amazingly romantic thing, and seeing yourself through lifetimes, but then having, like you said, maybe to go on stage and 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 do the song and dance for people, or having to talk like in real time to somebody where you can't express yourself the way your internal is going. Yeah.
2: Yeah it's uh, yeah i i I feel so stupid sometimes talking about this record because because it's it's just like (laughs) it's it's, it's so it's in a sense it's so abstract and you can Mm -hmm. just at the end of every you know maybe salient point you make or anyone makes you the only thing to be is just like yeah
3: (laughs) i know know.
2: (laughs) it's such a cliche but it's like it's but that again speaks to like the power of the record because
0: right, right. it's
2: not interested the, this record isn't interested in you ripping it apart and, no. and, and finding the exact meaning clues,
0: of exact situations it's not,
2: no it does not give a fuck about you doing that and <laughs> it, it only wants you to experience the experience
0: right is, is right right put it. yeah and maybe that's also and to put in kind of eastern terms would be like the whole thing of eastern path of philosophy and spiritual experiences to be in the moment and the moment is timeless. Yeah. Yes. And and if, if you're not in the moment, you're distracted. You will be mumbling. You're, you're pulled into the world instead of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, outside of it or in the, instead of being in the reality of the moment of the timeless yeah. world, you're, you're caught up in the, in the world. The illusion. And that,
2: yeah. And that it's brilliant because it works for both the narrator and you, the narrator's experience in the song, but also the listeners. Right. And that's, that's, that's a next level uh, business going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: To put it one way.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And all right, well, then we get some more uh, locations in the next song as well as the uh, most sparse song as well as the most. uh, Now, the end of the cycle of in a way
2: and the way this was explained to me by a couple people was lewis knew he needed something to end the record with Mm -hmm. sent van to his binder prepared by janet (laughs) and he's thumbing through and eventually he lands on this thing he wrote at some point called slim so slider Mm -hmm. and um there's this um you know the comedian bill hicks oh yeah in a biography of him when he, there's this is part where he takes mushrooms with his friends, and he knows he's about to die, but his friends don't know yet. Hmm. And they play him astral weeks for the first time. Oh no way! And um, uh, so one of the other friends says like, "Oh, but it ends on such a bummer." And Bill intuitively was like, "No, but if you flip it over, <laughs> you're born again." You know, he yeah, he makes yeah. that connection instantly about that. You know, oh, that, that's great. The, the reincarnation that cycle.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, definitely.
2: But this song's also kind of bitter.
0: Yeah, it's 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 coming from a place of hurt he's lost he's judgment. lost her, right? Yeah, yeah. He's lost her. She's lost moved... her both both to, to material wealth, to another another guy, and yes. to potential uh substance abuse. He every every possible way he could lose her, he's lost her in this song.
2: You yeah, you thinking like the horse and white as snow as mm-hmm. drug references?
0: I mean possibly. That's what I always what what yeah. comes to mind for me. I don't know if it you know, I'm not yeah. saying that i have any idea (laughs) but yeah i mean that that and just knowing that she knows she's dying like you know right right unless it's you know potentially the tb sheets person (laughs) but that doesn't make sense you know she's lasted quite
2: a while time i know right right. she's She's out of bed and she's she's dating a rich man (laughs) (laughs) right right.
0: and somehow there's a cadillac she's in the back of the.
2: (laughs) she's doing all right actually i don't know she might not die (laughs) i know
0: yeah exactly
2: but but the even the phrase slim slow slider like what is that
0: i know it's
2: yeah. a it's you know i mean literally i guess you could is it is a slim slow slide is she the slim slow slider
0: i would imagine so and i mean yeah yeah because he's addressing right. the slim slow slider because it's hard right. to say without uh it's such a uh alliteration but in the because he's saying that slider the horse they ride is white as snow right
2: right huh tell it everywhere you go yeah um yeah it's um john uh plays um soprano sax on this song that's right
0: yeah yeah i just heard him talk about that uh on something i was listening to today that they put all that uh probably reverb on it
2: yes a lot of reverb yeah yeah he still got the actual um soprano sax oh wow that he played on this uh-huh, that's um, cool
0: i love hearing details like that and
2: um yeah it's a beautiful ending to a beautiful record it's yeah. it's mysterious but it also provides you know closure mm-hmm. and um
0: and it, it the way it you know it, much has been said about but rightfully so the way it ends on the record right not the uh the long the so-called long version that we talked about but ending with that kind of like like da-da, da-da you have the, the kind of slammed uh yeah it sounds like he almost drops his bass or something Right, right. So like, yes yes it's great
2: i feel like this big picture this song and this album it's about the end of childhood yeah this is this is about the entry into adulthood mm-hmm. in uh, in a way you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's why he's so sad at the end yeah. you know it's yeah. like you the, the realities of Things don't always work out, start to get into his head Mm -hmm. and um, you can start over, you can find a new relationship, you can, maybe you get reincarnated, you know, all the, all the different ways you can think about starting over. Um, Mm. But that, that's the hopeful part. You do get to do that, but things happen. But in
0: a way he's, it, it feels like the narrative of it is that he's revisiting all these things and he's also kind of stealing himself up to to put an armor on of adulthood to not feel so deeply about these things
2: yeah like i like i can't be this fucking wounded all the time Mm -hmm. yeah i have to Mm -hmm. get this out and then i have to grow up and kind of get my shit together or you know pull myself up by the bootstraps right um and that just makes it so heartbreaking
0: it is yeah right and uh, unfortunately something like uh just when i think he's in later years like fallen into the kind of uh trap that neil young has of getting to moon june and his lyrics of just really simple rhymed lyrics uh he will have something really good but i could like i could see an early 2000s record him having a song called gotta pull myself up by my bootstrap (laughs) yes yes
2: (laughs) just no more poetry left in the engine it's all just like
0: yeah 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 it's all just phrases but which maybe also then some credence to uh, to why maybe or some reason why he would maybe not want to do like marenstein said he had started recording moon dance in the the form right. of this album right but decided he didn't want to do it the same kind of way i don't know yeah because it's too too close to that emotional open whatever
2: but if moon dance was in the place of young lovers do
0: yeah like in this in this arrangement you mean this kind of arrangement
2: yeah i think like i think that could have been i mean because this album is a cult favorite but Mm -hmm. you know i've met people who are like we're having a van morrison wedding Every song is, and I was like, "Oh, what are you playing off Astro yeah. Weeks?" And they're like, "What's that? Uh, <laughs> they, they've never yeah. heard of it." You know, they're like
0: we're gonna do Wild Night. We're gonna do <laughs> right. It.
2: Yes, yeah. yeah. I wonder if you know. I wonder. It, you, it's 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 stupid to. You I know. know do, yeah, to yeah, double yeah. guess uh, in hindsight, Maranstein's choice because was it worked and it's so brilliant. But but yeah, Moon Dance. I feel like could have sat there at the beginning. That's of that a too.
0: Yeah, that would have been. I mean, I would have totally. I, I think that would have worked so much better, but that's something that worth mentioning as well, that all these songs weren't, we, we kind of hinted at earlier, but the, all these songs weren't set in stone that these are the album tracks right. besides even the last song, like they thought about or tried a couple of, you know, the train, They tried. Yeah, and... uh, uh, what else do they try? They tried a couple other songs. I feel like, or they were going to and, and decided on the,
3: well,
2: the Boston kids, you know, just the fact that they tom knew moon dance Mm -hmm. and uh and they wrote domino domino Uh, that's right they kind of jammed on that on stage like so you know some songs that were real ringers Mm -hmm. were already around yeah so um you know it it worked out we don't need to Yeah, yeah we don't need to go back in time and change things but it's fun to play what if and yeah um Well, I
0: I just I just meant in the sense that I mean, yeah, one, it is. It's amazing to think that all those later classic and huge songs were kicking around in the time of uh, Astro Weeks, but also just that he didn't come with such a strong plan into the studio. of These are the eight songs. This is how we're going to play it and play it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is how it's going to go. No, like it was still he probably knew a few songs that he wanted to be on there, but it seems like it was kind of the binder was still open, yeah. if you will. you know. Right.
2: And the fact that the audition in Boston with Lewis, he plays mm-hmm. the title track. Right. is um, That suggests to me that song was new.
0: Right. Probably. Um, well, and I mean, uh, like I said, uh, just the sense of, I feel like that kind of double sense of, uh, nothing but a stranger in this world well right but, right but then again also you thrown in the new wrinkle of the john right. Hoker yeah, as yeah, well.
3: yeah
2: yeah <laughs> um so, yeah but uh it's an all-time it's an honor that i'm like my name is connected with such a beautiful thing and yeah.
0: uh uh i'm glad so glad it exists yeah and i mean i i give you much much props for that book oh thanks it's not just music writing because music writing can be great there's people that are artists at it but this is a book that for all the different things you fold in there it it all feels essential and feels there's there's no uh way young lovers do chapter (laughs) it doesn't need to be (laughs)
2: that's that's the highest compliment i've ever had (laughs) thank you very much oh yeah
0: no i i that i highly recommend it and especially if you know what you're getting into it uh-huh. even if you don't and yeah. you know so, and and stick through it it's it's such a worthwhile ride and i can't wait to see what you do next and you got to do the you got to put out at some point somewhere the uh madam george i piece. will that I sounds will. amazing
2: yeah i'm working on a lot of things i, I was have gonna some say variety. i haven't
0: said that what are you what what are you doing now
2: Well, I'm doing a lot of music this summer, tons of it. Um, This big project called Deck, which is 52 songs with my band, Hullody the Hills. But I've written some liner notes that are pretty heavy duty. Like they let me go long for some records I love that will come out or it's not even announced yet. So I can't say, but Uh, those are done. Can you, can
0: you give a hint at all as far as, what um, it might be in reference or who or what it might decades
2: be. later same city okay is what hmm. i'll say okay i'll well, i'll tell you off here.
3: Right.
0: yeah yeah
2: <laughs> and funny. um yeah i do have um oh i think i, I know look, actually I, was, was oh, it, but,
0: did they announce it recently that they're like a 30th anniversary kind of thing or something
2: no no oh, okay. no no i okay. know you're thinking of yeah yeah um um but yeah, I I would love to write a second book, and I will. We'll just see when. But I have I do have a night after I finish this deck project. I think I'm going to write the proposal for the second book.
0: Mm. I'm sure you've got a couple ideas kicking around. But I know if you're like me, you don't want to give too much away because you don't want to spend some of that energy that you need to. They focus always in they, on
2: them. they always say if you talk about an idea, you, it it keeps you the same dopamine hit in the brain, and then you don't do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I've read that, but also just. I don't know other people had more anxiety about me not jumping immediately into a second book than I did. I yeah. I don't know yeah. I just feel I feel like the way to ensure it's the it's potentially really good is to only do it when you're obsessed yeah. with what you're when writing. When you feel like you, when yes. you can't help but do right. it. Yeah, yeah. So, um we shall see. Mm.
0: Do you have a website or a place where your collected writings Yeah, and sure. Are? Yeah.
2: Um yeah, I have like a Tumblr, but but I oh, list okay. all that stuff. Here, hold Great. on, I'm going to say. Yeah, this uh, this is like such a lo-fi list, but I, I kind of keep this right here. You can put that in the show notes. That stays okay, pretty much up to date. Okay. So like, you know, this spring I did a thing about Bob Dylan's first Boston show in uh, 60 years ago. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh did something for the Believer magazine. Uh, yeah, I'm always I'm always writing And working on projects and then everything just takes a long time to come out which which is okay i'm in no rush
0: right which is ironic and in these times when technology is so fast but the release especially of god of art i mean Astro weeks was recorded and then released like a month later i know i know now it would take like a year and a half to get the vinyl out of a record right (laughs) it's insane
2: right i know yeah, Lord knows. I mean, I, I I do engage in the fast movement. Like I love, you know, Twitter, even mm-hmm. though it's worse and worse all the time. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I do love uh, having a thought and putting it out there. That's fun. But mm-hmm. I also like working on stuff for a long time and getting it right, and then, and then hopefully it's worth the wait. Yeah, yeah. But um, this is so cool that you're doing this podcast. Oh, and thank uh, you.
0: yeah, thanks. For yeah, I mean, me I re- uh, again, super appreciate you being on. Okay, and. So Astral Weeks, there's, you know, no question of where it lives uh, in ranking of, you know, of importance of just period as a musical piece and as a piece of art. Uh, What would be what would be your next go to Van album?
3: Mm.
2: After that. I always say I go to just the song Summertime in England because it's like a whole album. It really is. that song that is song, just
0: monumental. Yeah. I mean,
2: we I could talk an hour about this. Don't get me started. But that yeah. song. Um, it's
0: yeah, it's what yeah, the, it's insane. What it's, the hell? Yeah.
2: Um, but you know, St. Dominic's preview is re- real high up. Vedon Fleece has a lot of astro week similarities. It does. Moondance yeah. is such a radio gold, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I really, really love it's too late to stop now, the double live record. I know that is very very good and listenable
0: that's one of the top top live records i think i mean of anybody like if i had to pick top five live records it would be in there and it was out of print
2: for so long that not not everyone knows it
0: you know which is crazy and did you get the uh the yes the the whatever the parts two and three whatever they call it yes so good um much less uh without going off on a thread here i was only just bought a bootleg of even though it's online and this and that that the caledonia soul orchestra live thing uh right out here right by where i am the uh where is it live at the studio uh anyway where he does uh just like a woman and uh-huh. does it's the same band as on too late to stop now oh, it's so good
3: 1971
2: i think yeah yeah i I think, uh, I think the piano player for that band, Jeff Labes, I, I interviewed him for the book. Oh, really? I, I think the quote's even in the book. He's like, yeah, he's a genius, but he's, he's just too much for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know, that's a pretty good summation. Down to Cypress
1: Avenue with a childlike vision sweeping into view The clicking, clacking of the high-heeled shoe Ford and Fitzroy, Madam George Marching with the soldier boy behind He's much older now, with head-on drinking wine And that smell of sweet perfume comes drifting through On a cool night, air like Shalomar And outside, they're making all the stops Kids out in the street collecting bubble tops. Gone for cigarettes and matches in the shops. Happy taking Madam Joy. Oh, that's when you fall. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's when you fall Yeah, that's when you fall When you fall into a trance Sitting on a sofa playing games of chance When you fall in history books, you glance into the eyes of Madame George, and you think you find the bag. You getting weaker and your knees begin to sag in a corner play on my nose and drag the one and only Madame George up from outside the frosty window wraps She chops up and says Lord have mercy I think that it's the cops Hey everything she got down into the street below And you know you gotta go on a train from Dublin up the sandy road Down below in the rain, hail, sleet, and snow. Say goodbye to Madam Joy. Dry your eye from Madam Joy. Wonder what
0: All right, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, everyone who's listening. Uh, please reach out if you want. You can get hold of me at Pod at gmail.com. You can uh, subscribe, that would be helpful. Leave a review if you want. You know, the usual. You, you know the drill if you listen to podcasts. Uh, otherwise, please follow Dweller on the Threshold on Instagram. I've been doing fun things there, like, I, I'm sure I'll do more and more as time goes on, but that's the primary uh, place that Dweller on the Threshold will live online so far. But I've been, uh, so far I've been giving little capsule reviews as well as uh, top 50 van albums in reverse order, so 50 down to one. And I haven't made a ton of headway, but I, I'm I'm plugging along, and... It's a fun uh, bit of homework. Anyway, there'll be more random ephemera from the slipstream to catch on there as well as time goes on. Okay, with that, here is, as promised, John Payne, flautist on Astro Weeks, listening to and responding to the song in real time.
4: Great line by Jay Berlina right here, right off the bat.
1: If I ventured in the
4: slipstream
1: between the viaducts of your dream, where a mobile steel rims crack. Vibes, just
4: one little note in the vibes.
1: And the dead the back road stop.
4: There's the strings. Overdub later.
1: Would you kiss my eyes? down, silence is like to be born again,
4: to be bluesy born lines again. in the middle of this, and then my first note, here it comes, from the far side was.
1: of the ocean, if I put the wheels in motion, and I stand with my arms behind me, I'm pushing out the door. Could you find me? Would you kiss my eyes?
4: Vibes now playing a few more lines. I just played bup, 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 and then I repeat it silence
1: easy to be born again? To be born again.
4: And then Jay. with the look of to let me. on the And
1: then
4: I think I go, yeah, here. in the me. you go,
3: there you go. Sun, sun,
1: darling, you I and
4: think this Jay's if is just playing rhythm guitar now for a while I'm not even playing any lines
1: you go, taking care of your boy I see that he's got clean
4: clothes There's two notes. Then the strings come in. And it's just cooking. The rhythm section is just cooking. There's no drums. It's just smoking. And Van is just like... I'm getting chills now I'm getting goosebumps
1: Look that straight at you.
4: what kind of music is this okay if you can't categorize it
1: through, yeah,
4: yeah. the bass player just going yeah, yeah. and he can play a million notes if he wants to but he
1: knows
4: he's, he's Part of the team.
1: Between the vibe ducks of your dream where a mobile steel rims crack and the ditch in the back rod stop. Could you find me? Would you?
4: I kiss in my hand. And then the vibes is now for the first time playing you a little fuller. Down. Jay's got a great line right there. Whoa! Born that was incredible that line. To be born
1: again.
4: To be born again. To be born again. To be born again. To be born
1: again.
4: And all quieting down now. They quieted down again. No one said nothing to nobody. What what to do? In
1: another word.
4: Another time And I go Ain't nothing but a stranger <laughs> in this world <laughs> I'm nothing but a stranger in this world I got a home
1: on high In another land
4: And then the strings, beautifully the strings, the ascending strings
1: so
4: And then they're, they're playing in unison and then one group leaves harmony, one's staying in the high note, the other one's going down. And you're saying way up in heaven, way up in heaven, and it sounds like heaven. Listen to this, they suddenly go into 3-4, 1-2-3, 1-2-3, 1-2-3, they're playing 3-4 against the 4-4, four, four. Mm. out of nowhere, how do they think of that? Brahms. That's amazing. The strings are just unison, octave unisons, not overdone, in another time. Jay plays this great lick. And then the vibes player is going to let up the dampers on his vibes. My God, that's amazing. I don't know what the heck it is. I don't know how to categorize what you can say about it. You know, something happened that was bigger than every... Every musician individually and even as a group, something just, Mm. I mean, no wonder this thing finally caught on.